Remember the key quote for our series? If you've been here with us, you know what the key quote is. Let's read it one more time. We want to remember it by the time we finish the series. One, two, three, go. One generation's inheritance comes out of the previous generation's sacrifice. Makes sense, right? You went, do your heads like this. Okay. Come on. Any generation that is unwilling to sacrifice reduces, therefore, the inheritance of the next. That means to us that every service we participate in, every time we come to this place and feel the presence of God well up within us and we are blessed by His presence, every relationship that we enter into that, ble- that benefits our lives comes to us because of the sacrifices that so many people have made to build this church. Does that make sense? And it means to us that we have to ask ourselves the honest question, what's my role going forward? Is this legacy going to just be kind of consumed, or is it going to be taken to the next level? And we all believe God wants to do some incredible things in the days ahead, more even than we dare to dream or think or ask. And so here's a question for you. Did, did God know 99 years ago when he ordained that Whitley Church be born that that over the first century, thousands of people would come to know Jesus Christ. Did, did he know that in advance? Did, yeah. did, did he know that thousands of people would sacrifice uh, millions of man hours and dollars and, and talents in order for that to become true? Did he, did he know that? Yeah. Uh, and does he know what's going to happen in the next season until Jesus comes? Does he, does he know that? Yeah. And you know why he knows that? Because God is not limited by time the way we are. God always sees what's going on through what I call his uh, uh, multi-generational lens. He always sees across the generations. That's why he inspired King David to write so long ago, Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. If you've been with me very long, you know that word house doesn't mean the building that the family lives in. It means the generations of that household. It's also why God said of himself in Exodus 3, 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You see, God's talking to five generations in one sentence. He's talking to the person he's talking to. He's talking about his father. He's talking about Abraham, talking about his son Isaac, talking about his son Jacob. And so God always sees kind of across the generations of what's going on, and he's very much involved in all of them. Now, that seems obvious. If you know anything about God, you know that he, is, uh, he transcends time. So why would I take so much time to just kind of unpack that? Because here's the sad reality. Our nation's landscape is littered with churches that are filled with one of two groups of people. They're either filled with people where I would be the youngest guy in the room if I went there, Hello, are you awake? And they're not making room for their own children or grandchildren. Or it's filled with 20-somethings who are filled with all kinds of energy and excitement and dynamic, but they're not tapping into the wisdom of the life experience of the older generation. And the result is that the legacy ultimately gets lost in both. Because God defined that the house of God, the family of God, focus on a multi-generational 
perspective. In fact, what did he say in Psalm 127.1? He said, when we build from this limited one-generation perspective, we're building in vain. In other words, we're wasting our time. We're wasting our talents. We're wasting our finances. We're wasting it all. If we're just because one generation comes and goes and it's gone, like vapor in the air. And so we have to build from a perspective that every generation has a role and every generation has a purpose and every generation is needed in order for the church to not only be healthy and thrive, but for the church to make a difference in a world that desperately needs Jesus. So if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. You are incredibly blessed to be sitting in a room right now of a church that gets it that gets it. Come on, can we celebrate that? Is that worth celebrating? From Pastor Farrell calling out teenagers and saying, you're going to be my worship pastor one of these days, to you out there teaching the children and working across the generations, calling people out, to Logan leading worship, Bridge Kids on stage leading us in worship. We get it from the Royal Rangers that did Color Guard last week, from the, the babies I talked to two different parents this morning with babies that are less than three months old. From those babies to the, to the two ladies that are both celebrating their 90th birthday soon and competing over who's been here the longest. That's, that's our legacy, guys. And it's our job to make sure that as we go forward that every generation continues to be represented. And, and that's why we've been making a difference across the land and across the generations and I believe that's why we are poised. With everything in me, I believe we are poised to make a bigger difference for Christ than we ever have before. Now, here's my question. Is that easy? Is it easy to keep a multi-generational perspective on things? Somebody say no, quick. It's hard. It's hard to stay relevant generation after generation. I mean, imagine the changes that our 90-year-old members have had to go through in their lifetime. I mean, just think about the changes in dress styles and music styles and, and size of church and, and structures and systems. And it's just, it's amazing the changes that have to take place. In fact, it takes an incredibly courageous, visionary, and dare I say, unselfish group of people to continue to be relevant generation by generation until Jesus comes. So what I want to do in the few minutes I've got with you this morning is I want to talk to you very practically about what we're going to have to do in order for this legacy not only to continue but to go to the next level, okay? If you haven't figured it out yet from the few weeks that I've been with you, uh, please hear this. One of my pet peeves is for a preacher to tell me what I ought to be doing and not tell me how to do it. You know, And so we're going to be real nuts and bolts practical on this generational thing. And in fact, I want to talk to three generational groups this morning. I, I want to talk to the current generation. If we were talking in natural terms, we'd be talking about the parents, okay? I want to talk to the older generation. We'd be talking about the grandparents if we were talking natural terms. And then I want to talk about the children's generation, those coming behind. Now, hear me. In a spiritual family, age is irrelevant, so what we're talking about when we say uh, children, parents, and grandparents is, is if you have, if you can see people who are more mature than you, further along in this spiritual journey than you, then you have grandparent figures in your life, okay? And if you see people that are not, far, that are not as far along as you are, then you have children in your life, 
you then are the current generation. So how many current generation people do we have in the house today? Can you raise your, raise your hand? Let me see your hands. God bless that hand. I see that hand. God bless that The rest of you aren't paying attention. Because <laughs> we all, it don't matter how old or young you are, we all have people who have not come quite as far as we have and some others that have gone further and we have to linkage those generations together. So as we talk about these things today, I first want to talk to the current generation. That's, look at somebody and say, that's us. He's talking about us. And then I want to talk to what the Bible calls the older men, the older women. I prefer to call us the Arctic blonde crowd. (laughs) And then finally, I just want to give us a closing challenge uh, to where do we go from here and what do we do from this place. Let's get into it. Are you ready? Let's first talk about which one? The current generation. If you can see people are ahead of you and people that are coming along behind you, you are a current generation person. And there are two values that you've got to be sure that you maintain are two things, are two roles that you've got to maintain. First is you've got to value the older generation. You just have to value the older generation. You may say, Pastor Jim, that, that, that's obvious. Of course we're going to value the older generation. But let's be honest, guys. We don't live in a culture that does. Hello, are you out there? We're in a culture that values youth. We value the vibrance of youth and the athleticism of youth and the, and the fresh ideas of youth, and we, we value youth. And it's not unusual. In fact, it's very common for older people to start feeling useless in a culture like that. And so we who are in the current generation, remember it's got nothing to do with age, we who are in the current generation have got to combat what the culture is doing or the young generation, the emerging generation that's coming along behind us, will start to think of the older generation people as out of touch, of uh, of not with it anymore, as dinosaurs. Is that true? Does that happen? It's like the the young guy that got on a plane one day, and when he took his seat, he realized he was sitting next to an older gentleman. He decided, well, I'm going to have some fun with this old guy. He said, hey, man, you want to play a game while we're we're flying? It'll help pass the time. And the older gentleman said, you know, I I really was kind of tired. I thought I'd take a nap. And the young guy said, well, you know, it's, it's a real simple game. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, tell you what, I'll ask you a question. And if you, if you don't know the answer to that question, you pay me $5. Okay? Then you ask me a question, and if I don't know the answer to it, I'll pay you $500. And the older gentleman said, uh, well, I was going to take a nap, but okay. All right, let, I'll play. So the younger guy says, how many miles is the earth from the sun. The older gentleman didn't say a word. He reached in his pocket, pulled out $5, and handed it to him. Okay, young guy, it's your turn. Uh, Older guy, it's your turn. The older guy says, well, uh, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down the other side with four legs? The young guy thought and thought and thought, and he got out his phone, and he Googled it, and he couldn't get an answer, and he emailed all his smart friends and couldn't get an answer, and he struggled for an hour, and he finally reached in his pocket and pulled out $500 and gave it to the older gentleman and said, I, I just don't know the answer to that question. Uh, here you go. You get the $500. And, uh, and the old guy says, okay, well, it's your turn. And the young guy said, well, I just got to know. What, what goes up a hill with, with three legs and down the other side with four legs? The old guy didn't say a word. Reached in his pocket, pulled out $5, and handed it to him. <laughs> We may not look, we still got it, but we still got it. <laughs> Guys, hear me. It is, the, it is the job of the current generation 
to combat that idea that we ain't got it no more. Job 12, 12, it's not wisdom found among the aged. Does not long life bring understanding? That's a great verse. Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I know lots of older people that have never learned, and they don't understand still. I get that. But have you figured out yet that there's two ways that you can learn right? You can learn from somebody else's experience or you can learn from your own. Which one is the easier way to learn? Somebody else's. Which way do we usually learn? Our own. (laughs) It's true. And so here's what I want you to hear. You can learn from the older generation's experiences even if they got it wrong. You can learn as much about don't do it that way as you can if they got it perfectly every time. And so don't write them off, even though you don't think they ever got their act together. In fact, when Kim and I first went to the Philippines, 1981, as missionaries, uh, we got there in, in September, and I immediately went to the leadership. There were nine churches in the work at that time, and I went to the leaders and said, guys, I want to visit those nine churches. Just as quick as we can get out there in northern Luzon and the mountains where those nine churches were, I want, to, I want to see those people. I want to get in those churches. And they said, well, we'll have to wait till the rainy season is over. And I said, uh, it's not raining. Well, rainy season runs until uh, November, so it's going to be at least December, probably January, before we can go into the mountains. And I said, well, you know, it's not raining, guys. Let's go. I said, well, Willard Wagner was our former missionary, and he came in and did the same thing. Some of you know uh, Brother Wagner. In fact, we still support his his ministry. He's in Africa. He and Yvonne are in Africa now. But when they first got there in the 70s, he did the same thing. Got there in September, said, let's go. They said, we we can't. Rainy season's not over. He pressed and said, yes, let's go. And so they went into the mountain, and sure enough, a typhoon came. The river swole. They washed the bridge out. They're stuck in the mountain, no communication back home to the families in the city. And, And it took them a month to hike out of the mountains down the other side to get home. Willard finally got to his house in Baguio City where Yvonne and the kids were, and he, he didn't have his keys. They'd lost everything. They were eating, you know, stopping at villages and begging for food as they made their way back to the city. So he knocked on the door, and Yvonne opened the door. He's standing there with a, a month's growth of beard, matted with mud, hair matted with mud. He's dirty. He's lost weight. He's standing in the door. She opens the door and went, because she didn't know if he was dead or alive all those months. So they told me that story and said, you know, we can go now, Jim, if you want to, but I said, let's wait till December, (sighs) January. I'm going to learn from his experience. I'm not going to learn from my own. Hear me, guys. Here's the tragedy. tragedy. I've got to move on, but, but many current generation leaders today are so busy running around trying to figure it out on their own. They're never slowing down to ask the older generation, what did you learn from this experience when you were going through it? And they are doomed to repeat our mistakes. The first role of the current generation is to value the older generation. The second role is to teach the emerging generation to value the older generation. Look at Proverbs 17.6. The grandparents are proud of their grandchildren, and children should be proud of their parents. Do you see all three generations linked in there? Parents, children, grandchildren, Uh, and it's the current generation that is the linkage that ties them 
together. I've already told you, we went to the Philippines in 1981. That means that our sons grew up on the mission field. And uh, they were two and four. Our oldest sons were two and four when we went. Our youngest was born there. And so they were all, uh, Andrew was 12 when we came back to the States. And, and so they didn't have a relationship with their biological grandparents growing up. So what did Kim and I do? We understood this value. We found an older couple that had been pastors for 35 years, came to the Philippines as missionaries late in life, and we asked Harold and Bessie Malone if they would be grandparent figures for our boys. Why? Because we understood they needed all three generations speaking into their lives. It's our job, guys, to make sure that we're communicating that, that, that we're communicating the importance of all of the generations. And I'll just say quickly, and we'll move on, the best way to teach the emerging generation that is to show them. Honor the older generation leaders in front of them. Let them hear you say respectful things about older people, both to their face and behind their backs. Set aside special days to do nothing but love on them, no matter how busy you are. Let the younger generation see you spending time with the older generation. You will send a message that it's critical for them to learn. I've got a good friend in ministry who was visiting one time. It was coming up on Father's Day, and I lost my dad when I was 19, so I've missed out on, on you know, being able to, to love on my dad as an adult. And so I asked Greg, uh, so what are you going to do for your dad Father's Day? And he said, uh, nothing. Well, Greg's a pastor, and he understands biblical truth for sure. He's a godly man. I said, surely you're doing something for your father on Father's Day. And he said, eh, my dad and I don't have a good relationship you know, he left us young, and we reconnected after a while, but we really don't have much of a relationship, so I'm not doing anything for my dad. And, and so I, I started reasoning with him. I said, well, Greg, you know, you've taught, you know, that one of the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Biggies is honor your father and your mother. You know, it's the only commandment with a promise attached to it. If you do that, you'll have a long life. You, you understand that, right? And I tried, yeah, yeah, I get it. And I tried every way I could think of to get him to, to understand the importance of it, and nothing would work until I finally said, Greg, here, I'm going to shut up, but I'm going to say one more thing before I do. Please understand that your children are watching how you're treating your father so they will know how to treat you when you are his age. And he said, I'll call him today. <laughs> and I'll call him in front of them. It's critical that we not just value the older generation, but we teach the emerging generation to value them as well. So, you ready for the older generation now? That was the roles of the current generation. How many of us are in the current generation? So all of us are. Some of you are not in the older generation Yet, if the Lord tarries and you live, you will be, so you can look forward to it. But for we who are in the older generation, and that, by that I mean that there are more people behind you than ahead of you. I remember uh, in, in my young days, I would meet people and they'd say, you're too young to be a pastor. I haven't heard that in decades in fact, now I meet people and they say, uh, and they introduce me to some friends and they say, yeah, uh, Dr. Wall is a seasoned leader. Seasoned means I have more salt than pepper in my hair. Now what? It means I'm the oldest guy here, right? That's what that means, right? Yeah, that's what that means. And so eventually, if the Lord tarries and we live, we get to that place. And Paul gives very detailed instructions. We don't have time to unpack this in the kind of detail that Paul gives, but I do want to glimpse it. In fact, he gets detailed 
gender-wise between the older men and the older women. And so let's break it down by gender. First of all, let's talk to the guys, okay? So you guys who are in the older generation, or you can see it on your horizon, it's coming. Lean into it. Titus chapter 2, verse 2, here we go. Teach the older men to, let's read it together, exercise self-control to be worthy of self-respect. So that's two. Number three, to live wisely. You can read, right? You can read. Get somebody to read it to you if you can't, okay? They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Do you see five roles in there? We're going to be here all day, guys, so what you're doing. Come on, help me out. Don't have time to unpack this in detail, but let's look at it briefly. The first one was what? Do you remember? Exercise self-control. What does that mean? What it means to me is that the emerging generation, young people, have two issues. First of all, they believe they are invincible, right? And secondly, everything that goes wrong is an eternal crisis, right? Those two things put together. You know, the baby doll's arm comes off. It is the end of the world until dad puts the arm back on, right? Get a little bit older and and there's a breakup. There are no boys ever again in my life. No one else will ever come along. I mean, it's just, you know, have a little bump up with your car. Oh, it's the end of the world. Dad's going to kill me. I don't hope that's the case. But anyway, as time goes on and as we mature, we hopefully get to that place where everything's not eternal, the stuff happens. We live in a world where stuff happens. Can I get an amen? And some of those things will be a little bump in the road, and some of them will take a little time to get past, and some of them are hard. But at the end of the day, until Jesus comes or we go meet him, life goes on. And we, get to, we begin to get some perspective on the stuff that happens in our lives. When Kim and I were first pastoring, the first church that we pastored together, uh, Brother A.C. Wheeler retired after 60 years of pastoring. He retired back to our community and became a part of that little church that we pastored. Man alive, was Pastor Wheeler such a blessing to me because I went to Heritage Bible College, my undergrad, and same school that Pastor Farrell went to, Pastor Andrew Price went to, and, uh, and so I learned a lot of good Bible and theology and, and all those wonderful things. But, but they didn't teach us how to do weddings <laughs> and funerals and baptisms and the stuff that pastors have to do. So the first wedding that I ever did, I'd never even been to a wedding. I was still single. The first funeral I ever did, the only funeral I'd ever been to was my dad's, and I certainly wasn't paying attention to how they did it. And so when those things came along, I'm panicking. So I go to Pastor Wheeler's house and say, Brother Wheeler, I don't know what to do. I have to do this funeral. I have to do this baptism. I don't know what to do. He'd always say, he'd put me in his recliner. Didn't realize at first that's what he was doing, but he'd put me in his recliner. And he says, sit down, Jim. It's going to be okay. I'll walk you through it. There were so many times that he walked me through it with this incredible wisdom that helped me to get through that process that I owe him a huge debt of gratitude. That's our job as we get older, to be able to calm the young folks down and say, it's okay, we're gonna get through this. How about this being worthy of respect? How how do you live worthy of respect? How do you get respect? By giving it. You want respect, give respect. How about living wisely? What are we talking about? In the church 
world. Here's two things. I think it's important that we get this. There are two kinds of, of people in the church world, particularly when the church is addressing seasons of change, like we are. And having had a 27-year pastor, change is inevitable. We, we know that's coming. There are two types of people. There are pushers and there are protectors. That's usually along generational lines. The pushers are the people saying, we've got to change, we've got to change, we've got to change, we've got to update, we've got to change all kinds of stuff. And the protectors are saying, whoa, whoa, wait, whoa, slow down, whoa, 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 wait. We, we've worked hard to get to where we are. We like the way we are. We don't want to change anything. Don't change anything. There were people bent out of shape because I didn't use Pharaoh's pulpit when I <laughs> started preaching here. I mean, it's just we get bent out of shape over stuff. We're the protectors. We have to make sure it doesn't change too much. So which one of those two people do you need in the church? You need both. Because if the, if the pushers push things too fast, it'll all fall apart and the legacy will be lost. But if the protectors get their way, nothing will ever change and you'll move into maintenance, which leads to coasting and you can only coast in one direction, downhill. So the pushers and the protectors have to live in this holy tension, this holy kind of, uh, of we got to value each other in order to get to where God wants us to be. And we older generation people have to be the ones who have the wisdom to say, don't panic because there's two groups like that in the church. It's part of the journey. Does it make sense? So as you think about that, guys, think about uh, where you are in this process and, and then value the other a uh, group of people that maybe are on the other side of that equation. How about a sound faith? Was he talking about a sound faith? He's talking about coming to that place as an older generation person where your faith, your, your, your knowledge in the Word of God and your faith in who God is has become the foundation for your life and the basis for every decision you make in life. You're not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You've got this stability that the younger generation can see. And they look to you and they say, why can you be so stable in the face of difficulty? Because I know who God is. And I know what his word says. And I know that culture changes, but God's word doesn't. And you can depend on it. We're the people that have to be able to communicate that. Our faith has to be sound and then ultimately filled with love and patience where we see that younger generation making things that we know are going to be mistakes. And we want to, everything in us wants to turn it into a lecture and start telling them what they're doing wrong. We remember we made our mistakes and we learned from them. They're going to make some too and they're going to learn from them too. We communicate, we love, but we do it in a patient kind of way, not an impatient one. Does that make sense? Guys, that's our job. Are you ready to talk about the older women, the Bible calls them? I'll be honest with you. I don't have a clue how to identify the old women in the church. I mean, if I got up here and said, would all the old women please stay after service? Would anybody actually stay? <laughs> no, because there aren't any old women here, right? But I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. Here's what he says in Titus 2.3. Similar to teach the older women to teach in a way that honors God. Same thing with men. Then he gives us three things for the ladies. Do you see what they are? Must not slander others. 
You ready? Okay. Number two is don't be heavy drinkers. First service started laughing like crazy when they heard that one. <laughs> Instead, they should do what? Teach others what is good. That's your assignment, ladies. If you're in that older generation where, where there are more people coming along behind you than there are ahead of you, then it's your job to do those three things. Number one is, is don't slander others. Can I tell you? I'm not going to speculate for a moment on why Paul gave that one to women and he didn't to men. I'll let you figure that one out for yourself. But I can't. will say this. It's easy as we age to get to that place where we were a vital part of our children's lives, maybe even a vital part of the workplace, and now we're not such a vital part, and we start feeling less valuable, and before you know it, we start complaining about how we're being treated by the younger generation, and before you know it, we start developing a critical complaining spirit about other people, and before you know it, we've become a critical person. We've become a gossip the Bible says no matter what age you are or how ignored you get, you've got to remember the cheapest way to get attention is to attack other people. In fact, somebody said it this way, great people talk about ideas, average people talk about events, small people talk about other people. I'm begging you, don't shrivel up as you get older and develop a critical spirit. Because you're called not to slander people. Then he says, don't be heavy drinkers. I, you know, he said, well, we ain't got time to spend time on that one. But you might be surprised how common it is for ladies who, again, have this vibrant, fulfilling, vital life, come to those places where they're starting to feel more useless, maybe even depressed, and they start self-medicating. They have an extra glass of wine or six. <laughs> Or they start watching soap operas all the time. That's an addiction too, you know. There's so many things that we can fall into. Prescription drugs. He's saying guard your heart as you get older. Not to fall into that trap of medicating yourself because you don't feel as useful as you once did. You have a vital role in the body of Christ operate in it. And then finally, he says, teach others what is good. You've got the unique opportunity to influence because you've been there, done that. Use that influence wisely, not too aggressively or it won't be received, but not too passively because it won't be heard. Tell them the truths that have stood the test of time. And again, the best way to teach somebody is what? Show them. Kim's granny, Ella from Belfast, um, prayed for each of her children by name every day. She had six, one passed very young. So she had five adult children, all of whom married. So she prayed for all of her children by name every day. She prayed for all of her children-in-law by name every day. And as they started having children, she prayed for all of her grandchildren by name every day. And as they got married, she prayed for all of her grandchildren-in-law by name every day. And as our generation started having children, she started praying for our children by name every day. And as they started having children, she's praying for her great-grandchildren in law by name every day. They say she just got up earlier and earlier every morning as the list got longer and longer. She was getting up at four o'clock in the morning to pray toward the end of her 90 plus years. And the buzz around the funeral 
during that time is who's going to pray for us now? Because Granny had role modeled something for us that was precious all during those years when she would pray for us and the Lord would impress something on her mind about us, she would take out a card and write something to us that she sensed the Lord was saying to us. None of us knew about it. She had a chest full of these cards, and after she passed, we all got our cards, and she wrote me a card when Kim and I got married, talking about how God had brought me into Kim's life, and together we were going to do great things for God, and I wept. And I could weep now if I let myself thinking about the legacy that we have and are so blessed by. Because as she got older, she wasn't able to teach Sunday school anymore or preach sermons and all that sort of thing. But she knew her value in the kingdom of God and she communicated it. The current generation has two primary roles. To value the older generation and then to teach that value to the emerging generation. The older generation, the Arctic blonde crowd, we also have two roles, and that is to role model godly living and wise living. Can, I, got, I got to wrap this up, but can, but can you see how healthy a church can be if we operated this way? If, if all of us actually looked at our role in the church not just as, boy, that worship set was powerful today and I got a blessing. Or Pastor Jim brought a good message today. I enjoyed that message. That's fine to do that. But if we could actually get past that point and get to that place where we're not even looking about what I, uh, what I like or don't like or what I you know, prefer or don't prefer, we're actually looking at the generation that took the choir this morning first. And we started saying, what is it that they need, even if it isn't exactly my style or preference? We don't know who said it first, but it's a well-known expression. Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. And it's our job to make sure that doesn't happen. So, before we close, i got to challenge us. i got to... I got to give us something to lean into, and that is the challenge for whatever generation you're a part of. As you look at the younger, emerging generations, I call it the next gen, is the the phrase that people use these days. Um, listen, and don't just listen to their words; listen to their hearts. Make sure that you're spending some time listening to what the younger generation is saying. Don't, don't make the mistake of, of trying to pack all the wisdom of your life into their lives every time you come around them, you know. You'll find yourself saying, well, now when I was a boy, you know, we had to walk five miles to school uphill in the snow in North Carolina. And then five miles back uphill again in the snow. I mean, we, we start saying stupid stuff that the younger generation goes, that's not true. I mean, before you know it, they don't want to hear a word we've got to say. Instead of doing that, what if you just ask simple questions and then shut up and listen? Listen to what they've got to say. And don't make the mistake of trying to relate to them on their level either. Don't, don't try to dress the way they dress and talk the way they talk. I mean, come on. 
Somehow we get this idea of if we dress trendy enough and if we use the right lingo, maybe they'll, they'll like me, you know. And so I could go to a younger generation person and say, hey, this place is about to turn up. <laughs> Let's Snapchat a selfie and see what hits. You are so cray-cray, girl. Hashtag what? How stupid do I look right now? Yeah. <laughs> Preach it, he said. <laughs> but let my granddaughter call up, crawl up in my lap and I just say, how was your day? And I shut up and listen. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing what they will pour out if you listen and listen beyond their words because you won't understand all their words. <laughs> and you listen beyond their music because you won't like some of their music. But actually listen to their hearts. You may learn something vital, and more importantly, you may communicate something hopeful to them. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, good people bring good things out of the good they stored in their hearts, but evil people bring evil things out of the evil they stored in their hearts. People speak the things that are in their hearts. Don't just listen to their words. Listen to their hearts. And you may find yourself making a difference for generations to come. i got to close, but before I do, can I, can I get real personal for a minute? There's absolutely no doubt that I am who I am, and I've done what I've done, and I've accomplished what I've accomplished because I have a train of people like this in my life. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. When I first gave my life to Jesus, having come from the kind of heritage that Kim's family gave, I came from the same kind of heritage, a mother who loved Jesus, a grandmother who prayed earnestly. I came out of that legacy. I gave my life to Jesus. I stood up in church and testified to that effect. And James Hester, a carpenter in our church down in Bladenboro, came to me after the service and said, uh, uh, you have the voice of a preacher. And I laughed. I said, you want it? I don't want it. He said, no, I don't want it, but we get together on Friday night, a bunch of guys, and we listen to some teachings and we pray for each other. Would you like to come? We called them cottage prayer meetings back then. We call them life groups now. But anyway. I went to his workshop that Friday night, and for the next several months with 12 other guys, we just listened to teachings, and we shared our lives, and we prayed each for each other, and it was during those Friday night cottage prayer meetings that I was filled with the Holy Spirit, that I, I, I got broke free from the smoking habit, that I quit drinking, that I got my call to ministry. It, it was in that little Friday night cottage prayer meeting when that stuff happened, and those are the guys that sent me off to Bible college. I had the great privilege of preaching the sermon the night my dad gave his life to Jesus. Dad did not grow up in a Christian home, and, and I gave the invitation, and dad came. And I had the great honor of praying with him to receive Christ. Within a year, he passed away. 
our pastor was so close to our families that I can't do the funeral. So he brought Dr. Herbert Carter, who was general superintendent of our denomination, brought him in to do the funeral. And I was a young preacher just getting started. I walked boldly up to the general superintendent after the service, and I said, well, I've lost my dad, so you're going to be my father from now on. And I mean, how arrogant is that, this young 19-year-old kid talking to the superintendent? And he looked at me, and he said, and if you know Dr. Carter's from Dunn, if you know him, he's got one of those God voices. He just simply looked at me and said, I accept. And from that moment for years, I mean decades, if I called him, he dropped everything and he listened to me. I'd come to his office and I didn't even realize at the time what he was doing, but, but he'd turn his computer off and turn and face me and he'd let me talk. And you might have figured out I can talk. <laughs> and he listened to me and in time I traveled with him and he taught me so much of what I know about leading a church and leading ministry. Um, pastor A.C. Wheeler, the, the pastor that retired back to the first church that we served, just saying, come on, Jim, sit down in my recliner, walk me through it. Guys, the, the, those, those men in my life shaped my life. And I would not be doing what I'm doing, nor I would have accomplished what I've accomplished without them. I had the great privilege just a few years ago back in the Philippines and I was praying over the young graduates of the Bible college that Kim and I started and, uh, uh, and when I went to pray for this young man, Joseph Benigno, the leader, leaned up into my ear and he said, Jim, that's Rogelio Montero's son. Well, I ordained Rogelio in 1982. Now I'm praying over his son. I got to the next young lady and Joseph leaned up and said, that's Elie Sion's daughter. I ordained Ellie in 1984 and now I'm praying over his daughter for ministry, and I stood up and said, I'm a granddaddy. <laughs> I'm proud of my natural grandchildren, but I'm just as proud of that generation in ministry too. I had the great honor of the Bible college named the administration building after, they call it the Jim Wall building, and that's an honor, and it's embarrassing, and it's humbling, but we were back for a visit, and I spoke in the night service and the next morning, I'm walking around campus, and one of the students came up to me, standing in front of the admin building, and he looked at the building, and he looked at me, and he looked at the building, and he looked at me, and, uh, and I knew he wanted to say something. I said, well, just, what's on your mind, son? And he, he looked at the sign again, and he said, oh, sir, I thought you were dead. <laughs> Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Do you get that? Not just for his children. He's thinking multi-generational. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. That word inheritance is the Hebrew word nakal. That it, it can mean money, but it's more than money. It's a legacy. So before I shut up, i got to ask... What inheritance are you leaving, not just for your children, but for your children's children? Can you identify some of those people right now that you're investing in who will one day rise up and say, oh, sir, I thought you were dead? <laughs> are you helping the next generation to prepare to become the leaders of the ministry until Jesus comes? And if not, maybe it's time to take an honest look at yourself and say, if I only think about my life 
this day, what I need, what I want, I'm building in vain. I gotta build for my children's generation and for their children's generation for the cause of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the way you challenge us to the core from your word. And I pray simply in this moment that you would speak to each of us where we are. Let us know how much you love us right where we are. If we haven't been thinking this way, that all we have to do is confess and you will forgive. You'll give us a fresh start, a new life. Right here, right now. All we have to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been thinking about me. I haven't been thinking across the generations. Forgive me. Give me a new life, a fresh start today. For those in the room, Lord, that are walking with you and serving you and investing in their children and the children's children. I pray that you would multiply blessings into their lives so they would catch a glimpse of even if they don't get to live long enough to see how this legacy goes to the HNL, that they will know in their hearts that their sacrifice is not in vain. Bless us all in relationship with you in the process. Be glorified in who we are, in Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute, okay? I'm going to let you go, I promise, but I believe God's at work in this service today. From From the worship time right into this message, I believe God's at work in our hearts. I'm going to ask you to pray one or both of those prayers very quickly. Pray silently, pray aloud, but pray with me. Lord, forgive me for being self-focused. Give me a fresh start. Lord, help me to see my children and my grandchildren, not just in the natural, but in the spirit, the spiritual children and grandchildren that you want me to invest in. And I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer team will be down here. After the service, if you need to pray with somebody today, please don't leave. Please come, stake around. If you prayed that prayer with me today, would you do me the honor of texting hashtag new life to 72345. Let me know so we can be praying for you this week. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.